Hello, my name is Jennifer Roden, and I have been a public educator for 24 years. Since I became a school psychologist in 2006, my favorite part of the job has been consulting with parents. We've laughed, we've cried, and I'm always happy to catch up over the course of years. I pride myself in conversing with parents using the same kind and sensitive tone that I would use if it were my own mother sitting across from me. I'm glad you're here, and I look forward to supporting you. Thank you for tuning in to Ask Gen Psych. Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Ask Gen Psych. Um, today, I have a very esteemed guest in the studio, uh, Dr. Ed Snyder. He was one of my professors in grad school, and he has been gracious enough to join us today. Um, I'm going to let him explain a little bit about his background, and uh, then we'll get going with some of your questions. Hi, Jen. Thank you uh, for having me. My my background, how far back to go? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. So I uh, got my doctorate in school psychology uh, from Lehigh in 2000. So I've been uh, at Edinburgh University or Penn West University mm-hmm. at Edinburgh since then. So um, it's been 20 plus years as a trainer of school psychologists. Wow. I started uh, as a school psychologist in 1991. So I had nine years okay. of practice. Great. And uh, I do some, um, locally do some consulting with an organization really helping kids transition from high school that have disabilities. Oh, cool. So that's a little bit of part-time work, but that's the gist of my, my background. Yeah. Well, I remember, because you must have started right about when I started the program, and I remember your boy, I think it was Adam, was you did videos of him for us to study in class, and he is now, he's a grown-up now. He's t- he just turned 24. <laughs> he's living in Hawaii. <laughs> I love so, it. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because we're the same age as we were then, so I don't understand. Yeah, right. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened either. <laughs> but, um, but I appreciate you coming in today. Ed's got a wealth of knowledge, and he's really fun, so... We're glad to have them. It should be fun. Yeah. So we have a couple questions that uh, listeners have written in. Um, you know, I never asked you which one you wanted to start with. Do you have a preference? It really doesn't matter. Okay. Um, well, I think one of the most interesting ones, and I think one that happens a lot more than people even think to report, is um, how to help my young child accept that his little brother has autism or a disability. Um, in general. And I know that comes up a lot. Um, Families throughout the years probably don't even think to consult with somebody about that. Um, But do you have any thoughts on that or? Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to know where to go with that because ultimately I think all families um, struggle Right. There's just right. a natural struggle of helping kids um, grow up and, and be nice and be cooperative. Um, and then when you have, um, you know, a child with um, special needs, it creates uh, more challenges and special challenges on families. Mm-hmm. A lot of pressure. Um, yeah. And so um, how to help the kids who are um, who don't have the uh, diagnosis is... Um, is a challenge because you really need to just talk with the families about the dynamics and what's going on and, and how needy is every child. Right, right, because everybody has their needs and their wants, and I, I guess the younger they are, the less they understand that 
why isn't why aren't I getting the same attention as my little brother who has this disability? You know, why why am I why am I invisible? Yeah, I wonder if um, you, know, you wonder um, you know from a from a parent perspective, how much time am I spending with one child over the other, mm-hmm. and how can I um, be sure that I try to make sure it's distributed fairly yeah across across children as much as you can so some of that is um yes part of just being a parent um it also helps um to have a good partner good husband or a wife um to talk Mm -hmm. with about managing parenting duties and demands and figuring out what each child needs you know if you're talking about a a child with um with autism that's under two and another child that's five. Um, they both have needs that are um, demanding on parents' time. For sure. You have a couple of- Just in uh, general. Yeah, parents that are um, really that are professionals and they're, they're being pulled in lots of different ways. So, you know, that's a question that also really gets me thinking about resources for families, mm-hmm. communities, and the times we live in. Um, you know, what's available to help parents um, with kids. And so it's, um, it's a complex issue. I don't have a real set, you know, just do this. There's, here's, how you, here's how you solve that problem. Sure, because everybody's different. Yeah, but it, um, you know, I think it would be really helpful for at least the, the couple to talk with each other about parenting and... Um, in monitoring the needs of each child. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think of it too, just even just birth order, because I grew up as an oldest child. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm really fascinated by that because I think, and I don't know where you fall in your family lineup, but I know my friends group is inordinately represented oldest children. And we joke a lot because we're very protective of everyone. We're very, and sometimes I'm like, oh, there's that oldest child curse again, (laughs) because it's like you put your own, you put everybody else's needs ahead of yours. And I can imagine even if the child with the disability in your family was older than you, you somehow assume that oldest child role. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's one of those situations where you can't help but reflect on your own personal upbringing and family experience mm-hmm. and, and what your family was like. So I was the youngest of four. Okay. And my uh, my oldest brother had some um, learning difficulties in school, okay. some social difficulties. He was 10 years older than I was. Okay. And my sister was um, next. She's eight, eight years older than I am. And then I have an older brother who's five years older than I was. So okay. I was the youngest. Oh, see, I wouldn't have picked you for a youngest. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, maybe I was so young that I my sister likes to think I'm also an, a little bit of an only child. Yeah, that could be. That could so, be because they were all out of high school by the time they, you got there. Yeah, they all... They left me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ed, we gotta get you some services yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, which gets you thinking about your own experiences and just, you know, friends, family, neighborhood. I was very lucky to be connected. I had a nice neighborhood and have friends. And, mm-hmm. You know, we're my little community in Dunkirk, New York. Okay, um, was was very warm and friendly and. You know, I felt like I had extended family 
right in my own neighborhood. Yeah. That's so that um, that's a buffer. That's a resource. It's true for me, and so I can't help but think about young families today. What's the community, especially coming off the pandemic of? Oh, yeah. You know what? What is just there for free? Right. Right. What mm-hmm. your neighbors, your work environment. What resources do you have um, to just help you um, be happy as a parent, mm-hmm. which will help you with your parenting? That's a good point. Well, and I think just even doing the job that I do and having been invested in it for so long, I learn of new community resources all the time. Um, I just found out about the Barber Center, I think, locally here has a support group for children whose siblings have disabilities. And I had a student tell me that they were going to that and I'd never heard of it before. So it's kind of interesting like how many things are out there and if you just look, you'll be able to find them. Mm -hmm. But if you're a person who is uh, you know, juggling, especially the population I work with, maybe they're juggling two, three jobs just to stay afloat. Maybe there's only one parent in the family. Um, it can be extremely overwhelming even to try to order dinner let alone find community resources. So that's why I kind of wanted to start this podcast, but also, um, you know, there, there are people at the school that can help you and they're happy to. Um, the school counselor, the school psychologist, you know, some, my school district has gone to community schools. So we have some United Way folks in there and everybody is there because they want to help. And it's fun helping because these people, who need help don't always know where to look and they might be scared or shy or embarrassed to ask, but it, there's a lot of things out there. Um, especially early intervention. I don't think a lot of people know about that. Um, maybe your doctor's office would have information about that. If you have a a small child who you're kind of worried about how they're developing or, um, you know, the school district, even though your kid isn't school age, they would have, They probably have an early intervention department. I know mine does, and I'm just speaking because not everybody listening is probably in the same place that I'm in. But um, there's a lot out there, but it can be overwhelming to find. And then people can be worried about, well, okay, so I have this service that I can access. Well, then I have to take my child there. It's it's just one extra thing. So it's just having, you know, you had mentioned the village, the nice neighborhood you lived in, you know, just seeing who's available and everybody's going to find something different and whatever works for you is fine. And if it works for a little bit and stops working, then you can switch it up. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I don't know whether we want to go down this path, but at my age, um, you know, I was I was born in the 60s, raised mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s, and thinking about my parents as parents and what the community was like. And what supports were in the community, um, I can't help but compare sort of the life in those times with employment, mm-hmm. businesses, and the importance of just really manufacturing businesses to su- just be a support system for families compared to today. Again, going back to the p- pandemic was kind of a snapshot of kind of what's going on where we are all sort of working independently and almost alone yeah and like and it feels to me like schools are working so hard to help families 
have resources that 50 years ago were there just because of jobs. Yeah. And, um, and, and just where you worked was your own little family, and there were supports built into that. And I wonder if just sort of that isn't there. So as schools, we're trying to, like, be that, provide that. It's true. And it feels like it's really hard, like extra hard. Like it, we're, we're trying to do the school thing and help people with this sort of community thing that maybe 50 years ago schools didn't have to worry about. Right. That's a really good point, too. And I mean, I've seen it happen even in the last 10 years where the needs have increased, but the resources might not be as much. And then you compound that with poverty or with um, just overwhelm in general. You know, even if you come from a nice, quote unquote, nice, we all come from nice families, don't get me wrong. But, you know, you come from a family who has both parents intact and maybe has a manageable amount of kids. But they're still struggling because there's so so much demand. And even just the academic demands now are so much greater than they were when we were little. Like, oh, I mean, you did you go to full-day kindergarten? Yeah, no. I was, I was half-day, I'm pretty <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I was half-day with naps and art projects. That was about it. Yeah, it was a lot of play. A lot I of play, it. Yeah, which really I feel like is appropriate. Yes, you know, no. It's, it's an important part of um, early childhood is just free play and it's probably the other thing that we start talking about Mm, play for kids is beginning more and more structured and there's less and less um, free play which Mm -hmm. is a whole nother issue so it feels like as a parent you gotta you know you wake up in the morning and you you've got to put your kids on a schedule and they go to school and they come home and it's just boy it's very hard on parents today it really is it really is but um, just thinking too about the you know the birth order and the 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 family dynamic, especially when there's one child who has severe needs, um, you know it's it's important to give yourself a little slack too as a parent. You know you nobody plans for any child that you have. You want them to be well developed and have no problems. But let's face it, everybody has problems. So you can't beat yourself up if it's not going the way you idealized in your mind either. So, you know, I think it's a good point that you had about making sure that the the attention between the children is equitable. And I think that stands in multi-children homes or or in one that has a child with a disability and a child who doesn't. Um, Yeah, if you have a child with um, difficulties, um, it it can be, even if it's just a... And behavior problem, a child with some behavioral difficulties, you can find yourself in it where you're just devoting lots of time to the problem and and it's just taking all your attention and sort of getting stuck in that loop and, and we need to make sure we're um, yeah, keeping track of how we're spending our time and um, as a parent um, trying to emphasize, much like we do in school, um, positive behaviors mm-hmm. and, and having that sort of therapeutic, encouraging, um, sort of loving approach where you're really emphasizing positives yep. um, and desired behavior with kids. And um, so that's, um, you know, going to be more received than, than the opposite, which is, you know, when you get frustrated, you want to, sometimes we just resort to wanting to punish kids mm-hmm. and, and um, 
it doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. Well, and I that's a really good point, too, because I think, you know, those of us who grew up in the 70s or 80s, in my mm-hmm. ca- case, um, and I went to Catholic school, so punishment was, it was omnipresent. <laughs> so I think that's a really good point that they never tell you in school. In fact, what we were modeled was not a positive behavioral support. It was, yeah. it was, you know, I mean, I've actually been hit with a ruler. <laughs> not lately. Uh, <laughs> it was the negative reinforcement paradigm. Right? Yeah. Like you will behave and if you don't, we're going to get you. Right. Exactly. And <laughs> so. it re- it does work for some people, but not most. And this the problem is it works. It doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't feel good. And it doesn't form lasting, mm, no. you know, and, and it's, it's probably why half of us are in therapy as adults because, <laughs> you know, we, 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 we towed the line, but to what cost? Yeah, right, so. exactly. Yeah, and we are quick to point out those folks that were um, encouraging, supportive, mm-hmm. loving, straightforward, um, to, to have sort of the opposite approaches, um, it hurts. It does. It hurts. And it's, you know, I, we all go visit the teachers that we remember mm-hmm. that were positive and proactive with us. So that's good points. Yeah. So I, you know, I think as a parent, we try to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to be a parent and not punish kids. I, I really try to keep it as simple as I can, you know, as, encourage my kids I really want to help you know thinking back on my boys mm-hmm. two boys one's 24 and one's 19 you know when they were little I just tried to be mindful of my day and structure in a way where I was um, encouraging them helping them along the way um, but if they did something um, that they shouldn't mm-hmm. that I had some approaches to communicate with them that were obviously non-harmful Mm-hmm. but um, would teach them essentially right from wrong. Yeah, because you you got to do that. Mm-hmm. It's very hard being a parent. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of pressure to like be a parent that you know is always positive, and I'm not sure that's realistic. No. Well, and plus, if you lose your cool, don't beat yourself up. It mm-hmm. happens. It's not it, – nobody's perfect either. Right. So – well, thank you for your any thought, further thoughts yeah, on that boy, topic. We, well, I, um, I, there's a lot there. There really is. Yep. We could keep talking about it for, for years, really. <laughs> but um, it, just in general, if you have, you know, it, obviously we're not going to go uh, break people's confidentiality. But if people have further questions, you know, you're always welcome to email me or just reach out to your local school your, and mm-hmm. see what they have to offer you. And then you can actually tell them more more confidential information which is helpful in that discussion. So so we have a couple other topics. Um, one is um, how to help a teen struggling with anxiety. And one of our listeners wrote in this question a while ago. It, it wasn't very specific, and that's good because we don't want to break anybody's confidentiality. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, the, the middle school angst, hmm. you know, and there, it wasn't really a, a specific if it's, a diagnosis of anxiety mm-hmm. or if it's just general trying to perform, try, worrying about this, that, you know, any sor- sort of social dynamic that might happen as a teenager. Yeah, it is, um, you know, anxiety is a part of life. And um, for teenagers, it's particularly stressful. And we could start counting the ways that um, a pressure is, um, is put on them mm-hmm. as they get older 
you know, developmentally, physically, socially, and then you throw school in and achievement or difficulty with achievement and college or not going to college or career choices and identity formation in mm-hmm. their, you know, in their 20s. So there is a tremendous amount of anxiety and stress on, uh, on kids and families as you help them grow up and eventually leave your nest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard to give you anything specific other than to recognize at the start that's, that's the human condition. Right. Is to have that anxiety. Um, perhaps one of the things that I did with my kids and parents could use is just sort of keeping track of all the things that your children are taking on that are, are they necessary, not necessary? Mm-hmm. What are your own expectations? Um, what are their abilities to complete some of these um, expectations? And so it really is a balancing act as a parent. It felt like sometimes I was pushing my kids. I had to encourage them to go out there and experience life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are times when you're you're pulling them up and, and helping them through a difficult situation. So as a parent, you're sort of finding that balance of when do I push because you need to go out and take on these challenges and face anxiety. Sure. And then there are times I need to um, support you through it. Um, and so it's a balancing act as a parent, which makes it mm-hmm. uh, difficult. I don't have a pat answer for you, but no. it really is a sort of a daily balancing act of, of, of monitoring um, your child's um, life. Right. It's true. Well, and one thing I don't remember when I was growing up is so many activities. My friends who are parents now who have kids in that middle school, high school range, they basically, I can't, I can't hang out with them from September until June because there's sports. There's multiple sports going at the same time. Then there's extracurriculars. Then there's karate or, you know, community activities that they do. And just the thought of having to you know, I, I'm lucky to get past five o'clock without my pajamas on. I can't even. <laughs> yeah, it's become increasingly competitive. Um, thinking about you know, high school, right? You, you've you've got to do all these things to get into a good college or a play your sport. Or, mm-hmm. um, and um, in any more. Um, you're not allowed to just dabble in a, in a lots of different things. And so, um, you know, my own experience was, you know, as a, growing up, I played sports, but there was no such thing as travel sports. Right. And now there's travel everything. Yeah. And it's expensive, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother <laughs> balancing act. Of right. Like, you know, how, how important is this? I, I don't think we're going back to... Yeah, do whatever because, you know, there's, um, it, it's, it's just the society we live in at it, this point. It's true. Well, and let's face it, there's money to be made mm-hmm. with all those travel sports, yeah. and somebody's making it, and yeah. it's not us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, it's very competitive, um, and so it, it does come back to um, your own little nest and your community and the people around you and, and what do they value and um, and then making choices. Yeah, that's a good point because just overbooking, even as adults, we have to watch not overbooking ourselves. There's, it's, there is absolutely nothing wrong with just laying on the couch once in a while. 
Yeah. Oh, yes. There's. Uh, uh, you got to make time to be creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you would appreciate that. Absolutely. Just, just um, you know, my my boys played sports, but um, you know, I loved, especially when they were elementary, middle school, even high school, and even now, um, art supplies, painting. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple of guitars in our house. Nice. Yeah. Just. Um, unstructured just be creative yeah just blow let's off some go. steam yeah mm-hmm. yeah let's let's just paint let's make something let's let's have a little just have a little fun yeah and that's i mean why are we on earth anyway right <laughs> we should should be having some fun yeah. it, it doesn't all have to be structured you know competitiveness all that stuff because that's that puts a lot of tax on your body too yeah in my uh family uh, we have recently um, really kind of just recognized the value of, of meditation mm-hmm. and um, and trying to cultivate creativity. Nice, nice. Um, and so you're not, um, you know, we're we live in a society where you wake up and you do your schedule. Um, if you're not careful, um, you know, humans crave variety, and so I'd like to build mm-hmm. in a little bit of time for just creativity variety. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Do you have an app that you use for meditation? I don't. I've just read a couple of books. Okay. Um, started with um, You Are the Placebo. Okay. Joe Dispenza. Um, yeah, this is a whole another tangent going on. That's... But nutrition became an issue mm-hmm. uh, really for me and for my wife as I've gotten older. You know, I've been chasing migraines for... Oh, Okay. You know, not regularly, a couple times a year, I'd have these migraines that have gotten older. Uh-huh. Like, you know, well, what's the deal with it? We know, what is it? What's right. causing it? So we've kind of gone down this, um, and I don't know if, um, you know, what you're like, but we've kind of gone the um, gluten-free okay. path mm-hmm. um, as I've gotten older, sort of trying to eat things that are a little more healthy, and somehow that led me to um, this book. Okay. You are the placebo, which is really focusing on your own ability to um, meditate and bring about change. Okay, I like it. Uh, yeah, it's a whole nother tangent we could go down, which is essentially <laughs> psychological research or medical research mm-hmm. where we keep seeing positive effects, placebo effects. Okay. For controls, for like people believe that, you know, if you have a sham knee surgery, but you believe you got a good one, like, your knee actually does make some improvements. Mm-hmm. You're like, huh? Like, how does that happen? It's crazy. It's just our beliefs. Yeah, it's crazy <laughs> that your what your brain can make everything everything else do. Yes. But I think it's a good point too. Just if you're taking care of your physical self, it, it's the only space you have. Really, it's the only thing you can count on is your body. So if you you need to nourish it and take care of your mind and get enough rest. Yeah, I, you know, uh, just I've been a sleeper. I've been fortunate. Oh, uh, my wife has a little more difficulty with Oof, that, and it seems too. like some folks you're either a sleeper or you're not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. I was not even a napper as a baby. My mom tells me all the time she'd lay me down and she'd go and look, and I was just like, "Hey, <laughs> what's up? What's next? <laughs> Entertain me." <laughs> but yeah, really good points. Um, I have a meditation app called Insight Timer. Hmm. There's, there's Headspace that I've looked at, and it's a little, I, I don't know, I don't, 
I haven't really used it that much, but so there's that app and then there's Insight Timer, which has a lot of really nice guided meditations. If you're not, if, if your mind wanders, there's nice people who say things like you're asleep yes and you know <laughs> and, and, and it works so basically and maybe whenever we post this i'll ask you for that title again and i'll put it on the instagram link yeah another uh book uh, real short easy to read is um stress less accomplish more okay i think it is yeah um again recommended by this dr mark hyman who is a sort of a um, a food advocate for healthy food okay. and dieting, um, and he had uh, he had that author and the author of the other book on one of his podcasts. Oh, okay, neat. So I just kind of stumbled across them and went, oh, okay, I'm going to read that book, and went, okay, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a psychologist, um, you know, your own thoughts, the power of positive thinking is. Um, mm-hmm is uh, something we need to find ways to cultivate. It's true. It's true. And I feel like it's even if you're overwhelmed, focusing on those positive improvements in the long run, take the stress and anxiety out because you're you you are finding space for that. You don't feel so much pressure, especially just, you know, watching the overbooking and the competitiveness. You know, there's nothing wrong with just trying stuff and having fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's the short. That that might be a good uh, motto for my life. Try stuff and have fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know this is a terribly uh, ad like opposite tangent, but we recently watched a Grateful Dead documentary, and they're talking about how Jerry Garcia just only wanted to have fun, and his statement was, "At the end of your, in a hundred years, nobody's going to remember who you are anyway, so you might as well have a good Enjoy time." Enjoy it. <laughs> and and I think that's great. Maybe his methods of fun are a little yeah. different than right. what. Conventional people. Yeah, we, we could debate that. Yeah, sure. we could debate that. And it's Red Ribbon Week at my school, so we're definitely not going but, down that but road. I'm but. sure he would be, uh, um, it would be hard to argue he wasn't creative. So he was certainly exactly. there was a, a creative force um, behind, behind their music. And um, yeah, I think that's something we, as we get more and more structured and we put kids into more and more structured routines and the structured play and pressures to achieve. Um, that we um, yeah, are mindful of uh, our own needs to just um, relax and be creative and step back. And um, yeah, I, I, this goes back probably to when I first started 30 years ago. I had a parent ask me, um, you, know, you know, I'm really stressed out. Well, how can I handle my stress? And my gut feeling was, you know, sometimes like, Make sure you're not just sitting in front of the TV all the time. That's true too. Because we are uh, we are addicted to our screens. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're not careful, your day's just filled up with all this stuff, and you haven't really made time to just step away and, and have some time to yourself and, and yeah. do some things that are creative but i've always been an arts and craft kind of guy i've always loved that sort of thing i so. would love to see some of the stuff the, the snyder family makes on a creativity oh, yeah night. yeah it's much like my music uh, i'm a hack but i love who it. cares that's all right you're i wish that there was more competition over who could be more relaxed with their downtime than who's because let's face it there's only one star of the football team there's only yeah. one star of the, you know but why can't everybody just be kind of good at everything yes. 
Right. Yeah. Don't forget to is just, um, yeah, do lots of different things. Um, again, kind of going back to the humans create, crave uh, variety. Mm-hmm. That, you know, whatever you're doing, if that's all you're doing all day long, you're going to find yourself probably wanting something else. Right. And that's, um, that seems to be just an innate need we have and to just to be mindful of that as a parent, as an individual. Um, you know, at my, my stage in life, you know, in, in my mid-50s to, um, you know, um, getting nearing retirement or transition to something else mm-hmm. to try instead of, you know, stopping and um, minimizing things I do, I, I, I want to stay active. Yeah. Yeah, same. Got to keep moving. That mm-hmm. body that... Yeah, and trying new things, I suppose, maybe it goes back to also sort of lifelong learning. Yeah, I'm I'm there too. I'm always trying to try something yeah, new. Yeah, and <laughs> I guess we taking it back to parenting, sort of sharing that and helping kids with that. Mm-hmm. Really, like, try different things. You know, when they're little, I don't know what you're going to be when you grow up. You're going to be a dancer, a musician, an athlete, a carpenter but we're gonna try different things and see what you like mm-hmm. and try to help you find your way yeah that's a good point I was thinking today I wonder if school counselors because when I was in school if you were a lady you were a teacher or a nurse right so I wonder what the trajectory is now like because you know secondary ed isn't for everybody you know or not secondary ed but post yeah yeah college you know college yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know finding something if you've tried a lot of things then you can be on a trajectory where you pick something that is more palatable for you and it doesn't have to necessarily be what everybody in your class does it could be something different yeah uh, that variety is really important it kind of, it does take me back to where we started which is sort of like uh, what jobs are available now mm-hmm. compared to to 50 years ago and I, I do see that as a stressor on um, our young adults is, um, you know, in our local communities, you know, Erie was one of these towns that had a strong manufacturing base. It's mm-hmm. not there anymore. Right. There were, there were jobs for people, for kids who weren't going to go to college. Um, they had options and they had some job choices. And mm-hmm. so it just seems like our economies locally are restricted which makes it a lot harder on parents and kids to figure out, what am I going to do? Well, you know, you should just uh, think of a variety of different things, and then you'll find your way. It would be much easier if there were options in my neighborhood, it's, in my town. It's true. And if there's not, it's it's so abstract. It's, it's really true. And I feel like just staying abreast of what's available for postgraduates of high school would be helpful. Yeah, and it's changing very fast, right, economically with the um, – Mm-hmm. Digital age, um, jobs are changing fast, and um, it's uh, yeah, I, it's an obvious stressor on parents. Yeah, for sure. And my own kids, like, uh, I don't know what you're gonna do. Right. Yeah, it's hard to know what's gonna be available in ten years. Um, it's true. I still don't know what I want to do yeah. when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but just to bring it back to the anxiety part, yeah. um, if. I mean, if someone has knows that they have anxiety diagnoses in their family, mm-hmm. that's a little different than the overall general just nervousness or worry about, you know, the typical growing up kind of stuff. So um, do you have any suggestions for people who know that anxiety runs in their family? Well, yeah, the, the difference would be, you know, somebody with uh, an anxiety disorder would have this pattern 
that's that's been observed over time, mm-hmm. right? It's not just this, you know, I've got a test tomorrow. Right. It's this sort of chronic um, anxiety of this issue that's happening. So um, to start with would be um, to make sure um, there's professional resources available mm-hmm. to kind of help families with that or help individuals with that. Um, that's not something you're going to just um, handle on your own. You'd want, you'd want to have professional help. So For sure. if we can kind of differentiate from a, like if you have a diagnosis, then you really should be working with um, community professionals to help you sure. figure out uh, a plan of action to kind of help you um, handle that anxiety versus, you know, the the more common stress that families and, and children experience just as part of life. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think if no matter where you live, because I'm thinking of some of our more rural communities where mm-hmm. there isn't a established mental health agency, just starting with your PCP and the school. Yes. You know, if your doctor says, oh, I don't, I don't think so or whatever, you know, if your child's having stomach aches to avoid everything or... You know, they can't seem to pay attention or, or whatever symptom that they're exhibiting. You know, start with the PCP, and they might be able to refer you to someone. If Depending on where you live, you might have to travel a little bit. And then the school has some things. I know so, sometimes um, community agencies will come in as a satellite program to the schools and will do counseling right at the school, which is really nice. Um, your school might not have that. And it just is dependent upon need, I think. But the the doctor and your school are two very good resources to get started if you don't know where to start. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's a great recommendation. Yeah. So, all right. Okay, so we had one more listener question, and it's kind of like what we just talked about, but it's a little bit different. And it's uh, best techniques to help my child o- regulate overwhelm and self-doubt. Yeah, so I tend to think of um, self-doubt and just sort of um, in technical terms, you know, self-efficacy is this idea that you believe you can do something mm-hmm. and it's something that can be changed. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if I were to put you into a task that's new for you and say, well, how confident are you in doing this? You probably wouldn't be real confident, but then if I give you lots of practice, uh-huh. You get some confidence. Yep. And so I tend to think of um, of just the tasks that we encourage children to do. We provide a variety of tasks. We start tasks that they could be successful with. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as just crayons, finger paints, mm-hmm. clay. Yeah. Um, and then as they get older, we, you know, um, give them more and more challenges as they're able to take on. So I do think about... Um, children in school when we ask them to start reading and doing math and writing Mm -hmm. and um you know how how much success are they having yeah and to to me maybe that's the essence really of of a good education is matching the instruction with their skill level so Mm -hmm. that they can um develop some confidence it's true the the problem is in school we don't accomplish the same same tasks at the same time so some kids are ahead and the kids that aren't ahead notice that and feel like they're behind and so the doubt starts to creep in Eesh. when you when you look when you're doing things in a group you look around and say what's uh, what's everybody else doing they're doing stuff I can't quite do yet and so we tend to doubt because we're comparing ourselves mm-hmm. to what everybody else is doing and that's ma- that does make school 
hard. It does. I actually had a conversation about that today. You know, just even first graders, kindergartners can look around and they know. Mm -hmm. They know when they're not up to snuff with everybody else. You know, there's that old adage about a group project. There's always that one person who does everything and everybody else just kind of lazes around. But I think when you're in elementary school or middle school or whatever, the group project, uh, there, there might be one person carrying it because they're the ones that can. And everybody else is kind of like, some people don't care. Some people are real happy to just be that person who doesn't help. Yeah, <laughs> and right. You do it for me. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> then, you know, setting somebody up for a feeling like, oh, man, I know that I, I really want to be able to read like so-and-so, but I just can't. It can yeah, hurt. It is. Uh, well, yeah, it is that sort of comparative piece that does bring some stress um, if we take something not so... Um, important as like reading like that's just a real tense thing and we could we could talk about just teaching kids to read and, and how hard that that can be but it's something as simple as you know singing in front of folks like you do mm-hmm. um uh, you would be probably very comfortable and confident in doing that i i wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> it would take a lot of training to get me to the point where i would feel confident that that I could do that. That's a good point. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I, you know, when I was young, when I was in high school, oh my goodness, that how I would be so sweaty. (laughs) I would be so nervous. And I remember that feeling. It was an awful feeling. But then, you know, as like you said, as I would perform, I would do different, you know, school performances, chorus performances, I started feeling more and more confident. And now if you were like, hey, Jen, the person who's going to sing the national anthem at the Seawolves game is, is That's out, you know, do you, can you fill in real quick? I'd be like, yeah, okay. That's phenomenal. That's great. <laughs> I, I really envy that. <laughs> I mean, it t- took like 30 years, yeah. but, <laughs> but and, I made it. And, and I, I um, you know, I think um, in real general sense, like, you know, why do we have kids play sports? And music can accomplish the same thing, you know. As a parent, ultimately, what we really want is is our our kids to have some perseverance mm-hmm. and grit mm-hmm. and stick to itiveness. And um, you've got to have some success along the way sure. to do that, and some challenges. Mm-hmm. Right? If it's all easy and it's too easy, you're not going to learn to persist through the hard times. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the same respect. Students that are um, meet challenges that are too hard or frustrating, it's just natural for us as humans. If we're constantly asked to do something that's frustrating, we're going to give up. Yeah. And we just want to make sure we're trying to, all our children that we raise in our families, that we have in schools, really find that good match of, of helping you, challenge you to the next stage so you develop some healthy ability to... Um, persist through the difficult times that's that's part of um music training yeah it is part of sports like it or not it is one of the things that um we can get out of sports and it and it is part of the classroom teachers do that too like mm-hmm. you can do it it's going to be hard i'm going to give you a test yeah um but hopefully we do it in a way where you know the test is really teaching you uh, and me about what i've taught mm-hmm and so if you don't quite have it yet, that informs me as a teacher of what I need to teach you next. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, 
on a similar topic too, homework has come up over the years for me. And, and really, I deal with a lot of students who are struggling learners for the most part. Mm-hmm. And a lot of parents have told me over the years that homework is absolute murder at their house. It is just the worst. It takes hours and hours. They have to force the poor kid. And my thought process is, who cares about homework? And I tell parents that all the time. I grew up in a house where my younger brother struggled to get his homework done. And I remember that it was like, it was an ordeal. Mm -hmm. It was all night long. My poor brother, he just couldn't do the work. He didn't have the attention span. And at the time, the lovely Catholic school teachers that we had wouldn't have accepted anything other than completed work. And I've had um, parents tell me a lot of times, I just do it. Well, last I checked, you graduated from school. You're <laughs> off the hook. You don't have to do it. But really, I mean, the, the standard that I've heard is it shouldn't take more than 10 minutes a grade level per night. Mm-hmm. Because really, I, and I'm a hippie sometimes, and I'm just like, I feel like homework is teaching us to just work constantly and be a cog in the machine. Right. Yes. And I'm kind of anti homework. <laughs> yeah, you got to have creative time, right? Exactly. So kids are at school structured all day long and then they're coming home and spending hours uh, on homework. Uh, we just you need to make sure we're mindful of that. Yeah, and you have to be a human being. Right. And honestly, at the end of the day, and I don't every school is different, every teacher is different. I don't know how much homework's actually getting graded, but you know what? If if I were a parent and I tell parents this all the time, if, if they can't get it after 10 minutes, and if you tell them, okay, we're going to give you 10 minutes and then you can stop, well, what kid is not going to fool around until mm-hmm. the 10 minutes is up? But yeah. if you just are cognizant of, okay, let's see what skills you can do out of this sheet, how much can you do, mm-hmm. do what you can, and then send a note to the teacher and just say, this is all we got done. We worked on this for X amount of time. That's all my family is willing to afford at this moment. And I think that the overwhelm that happens with kids is they're being forced to practice these skills that they don't know how to do to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. The, again, the, the homework doesn't match their skill level or it's beyond what they can do. So mm-hmm. there's just more frustration. And, um, yeah, as a parent, um, yeah, you know, they're frustrated, you're tired and to yeah. add, to add more to that isn't maybe not, not helpful. No. Um, yeah, I have the same, you know, memory of my my oldest brother, um, and my parents really spending lots of time with homework mm-hmm. and trying to help him um, in school. So that um, that that was an important part of our family, um, and it was an obvious stressor from yeah. the parents. Yeah, and it's it, it's a lot. I mean, you, when you think about it, by the time you get home from work, it's a lot of people get home what around five o'clock mm-hmm. to say. And then the kids go to bed by nine. I mean, that's not a lot of hours of twenty of the twenty-four to be a human being, to do the creative things, to just go in the yard and dig a hole with a stick. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah. The uh, I think the ideal probably is um, thinking back to my own elementary school experiences. You come home at three, get a snack or something. Three thirty, do homework till four, and then you're out the door and you're outside and you're just playing. Play. Have a good time. You you did your little extra practice at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, um, my my emphasis really is just on skill building. Mm -hmm. I I keep kind of defaulting to that, whether it's art or reading, Mm -hmm. writing or sports. Like what's what skill are you good at? And Mm -hmm. um, and how can we 
um, help you kind of get a little bit better at that. Yeah. It's, and it's, how it's, confident are you, right? That kind of goes back to the old self-doubt. And um, yeah, we can make this really hard where you're going to have doubt, mm-hmm. like singing the national anthem in front of a group. Right. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, if they if they cancel, I'm on, I'm put me in, coach. I'm I love good. It. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, I think, and that's a thing that really with COVID has become a problem because some kids... I mean, I did not do great in my online courses. Luckily, when I was still taking classes, Mm -hmm. I went in person because when I took my admin classes after I graduated from school psych, I forgot about one class. It was a three-week class. Mm -hmm. I forgot for a whole week. Yeah, that's like the nightmare, right? (laughs) I still get those occasionally like, like, I forgot about this test. And then I had to do it all at once. And shame on me. I did that to myself. But, I mean, a lot of kids, the online learning was not for a lot of people. So they missed a lot of those basic basic skills. And here we are putting them in third, fourth, fifth grade, and they can't read. And it's not their fault. It's they went through a global pandemic. Yeah, yeah, that that period of isolation. Um, yeah, learning is um, yeah this whole like you know this whole social learning aspect mm-hmm. is um, yeah is uh, can be beneficial mm-hmm. and helpful and fun, um, but if you're struggling compared to everybody else, it can make it really really um, difficult. Yeah, for sure. And kids know even if they're little. Yeah. So, and I think just again going back to talking to the school, that there there are specialists at the school who can help with scaffolding those skills. So if they missed a lot of skills over COVID, there's ways to recoup to some extent. And I think it, at the end of the day, kids are resilient and they're going to be okay. But right now it's hard. There's a lot. I've been getting a lot of calls about kids crying all night long about their homework and they can't do it. And it's it's okay to not force them to do it. It's it's okay to talk to the school and say you know. Uh, this this homework is too too far ahead. Obviously, my child needs to be brought up to the reading level. Yeah, the um, one of the things that parents should know is uh, one of the things that has changed since I was in school is just this the school's ability to kind of know, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you know, how should you be reading? Like, how many words correct per minute should you be able to read in a second grade book when you're in second grade? Uh-huh that um, the parents might find that useful. Yeah, that's a, a good point. It's a real simple metric um, that parents can understand and help children with just, you know, reading and reading fluently okay. for a minute. And, you know, when you're doing that sort of skill building, it's something that should be should be short. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're building fluency or you're building accuracy, it's not something you do for hours. It's it's something you you try for um, a short period of time, five or ten minutes, and then you take a break and do something else. Yeah, and I think it's important too to find reading topics that a child would like, yeah. because you know if you're really into tractors and you get a, a reading prompt about butterflies, you're not going to be into it. Yeah, it's not going to be motivating. So just finding those little little tricks. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. It's just you want it to be naturally fun that'll take a lot of the work out of it if your child right. is reading something that they enjoy yeah and then they might actually want to pick up a book on their own on the yeah, side right yeah. yeah and so it's um it is interesting i was not a sort of somebody that would read a novel when i was younger mm-hmm. um but a how-to manual i probably would really like that 
Yeah. <laughs> Some scientific American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we do that? Well, I want to make that airplane. All right, yeah. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> and that would motivate you to learn how to read it because you right. wanted to know what was what right. was in there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, you know, novels aren't always the way to go and, and maybe um, it would be an overgeneralization uh, generalization to say that, uh, that for boys or girls. So right. just know your kids mm -hmm. um, and, and try to find things that they would find um, interesting. And, um, yeah, it's, it's not always easy. Yeah, it's true. But I think it's a good point, you know, when you're looking just back to the topic about the overwhelm and self-doubt. You know, just noticing. So you can't expect, for instance, me dropping into calculus class. I'd be completely lost. Correct. Right. You know, but if you got me up to that level where I started with my addition facts and then moved on and on, you know, there there's some success and maybe I would actually like it. Yeah. And I think at the elementary school, the parents would find, um, I, I'd like to think anyway, that they could have a conversation with the school staff. Let's just take reading, for example, mm -hmm. um, and just just talk about, um, you know, how well my child is reading in real simple terms. Sometimes we overcomplicate it, but right. for me, something as simple as just, you know, how many words can your child read correctly in a minute from a given book mm -hmm. um, will, um, will help you get a sense, and the school should be able to help you with where they are, they should be compared to everybody else their age. Mm -hmm. And if they need a little extra practice, that's time well spent at home. Yeah. Can help them get some confidence. Yeah, that's a good points. Good points. So any other thoughts about uh, overwhelm, self-doubt? Um, yeah, I kind of just go back to what's the, what is it we're asking them to do and trying to set them up for success. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I do think uh, a scaffold is a good um a good metaphor to use of, you know, we're trying to get kids to climb to the next step and to kind of know where they are um, and help them with real simple tasks and, and just building on that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, hey, thank you so much. Yeah, Ed, well, for my joining pleasure. Us. It's been fun. Yes. It took me, Ed has had us interns with me a while. It took me a long time to not call you Dr. Snyder. Yeah, I appreciate Ed. <laughs> You know, funny story, you know, when I, I did my uh, doctorate in school of psych, uh -huh. um, Ed Shapiro, who, the late Ed Shapiro, oh, which oh. was a leader in school psychology, you know, so when I went to Lehigh and worked with Ed, he, I called him Ed. Everybody called him Ed. Uh -huh. So it wasn't Dr. Shapiro. So I came to Edinburgh. It was sort of like, you know, you can call me Ed. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. If I'm calling Spiro Ed. You could call Ed Snyder Ed. Yes, yes. I know. It's a, I don't know what it is. It's just, you know, we grew up telling yeah, calling it was our teacher of something by their... we did on campus and, and maybe it has to do with the undergrads, you know, sometimes sure. professors want undergrads to know that they have a doctorate, but anyway. Yeah. I'm glad you're calling me Ed. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, thanks again, Ed, and thank you all for listening. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Ask Gen Psych. I look forward to sharing the next episode with you. If you have a topic that you would like to hear discussed, you may email it to me at askgenpsych at gmail.com or at the link in my bio. Please subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram for more information. Drop a review if you're feeling inspired. Have a great day.